Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Diana Dettinger, best-selling author of the book Modus Vivendi, Your Life, Your Way, as well as an international speaker and founder of the Meaning of Life School, where you learn to be you. My mission is to connect you to your innate greatness for a healthier, happier, and more for fulfilling life. You can find out more about this interview at journeytosuccessradio.com. And today, my guest is Fauna Hodel. And you are going to really enjoy this interview because she has the most amazing life story. And I am just so, so excited to welcome you, Fauna. And, you know, go ahead and charm us, baby. (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you, Diana. I am thrilled to be a guest on your show. And, oh, my God, in two Our big Tom Cunningham for introducing us. I just, I'm excited for being on your show. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, Fauna and I are co-authors in the book Journey to Success, Volume 2, and her chapter is called The Color of Love. I mean, unless you already know something about Fauna, you will have... You know, you can imagine like the color of love. And if you know the energy or chakra system, you'll think about, you know, pink or green. This story is going to absolutely blow you away. So I'll give you a little bit of bio here on uh, Fauna. She was born in San Francisco in 1951. Yes, intelligent women tell their age. (laughs) So to a Caucasian daughter of this uh, man, Dr. George Hodel, who was a prominent and wealthy California doctor who was implicated in the Black uh, Dahlia murder. So Fauna was given up at birth under these like really mysterious circumstances. So, you know, she still calls herself, no, what did you say? The the detective, not Nancy Lee. What was the name of the? I like a Nancy Drew. I like myself to a Nancy Drew. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, here she's already conceived and given birth in these mysterious conditions and actually given up to for adoption to a black maid and a black shoeshine man at, you know, the Riverside Casino in Reno, Nevada. I mean, talk about the beginning life, which is amazing. So here, this white woman is raised in an African-American community where she was shunned by the blacks for being white and shunned by the Caucasians because she was this little white little, you know, white little skinny girl with, you know, blonde hair, red hair. 
living with the blacks. So she still struggled, obviously, you know, like kids do with these issues throughout her childhood and adolescence. And upon reaching adulthood, located her birth mother and learned all about, you know, her family and this intriguing and, you know, obviously disturbing history. So Fauna is the executive producer and creative consultant for the motion picture Pretty Hades Baby, which is based on her life story, and also the author of One Day She'll Darken. So her autobiography is really all about the first 25 years of her life. So Fauna, you have got to give us these juicy little tidbits about how you, you know, every time people see you, you are smiling, you are happy, cheerful, you have a good word for everyone. No one would imagine this kind of, of upbringing, you know? Well, you know, considering my mom, my black mom happened to be the town drunk, it doesn't matter if you're white, yellow, whatever, a drunk is a drunk is a drunk. So growing up in a community where I was a little girl that was supposedly a biracial child that was never darkening. And I actually, um, Jimmy Lee, the maid, was working at the Riverside Hotel in Reno, Nevada, when she was approached by a white lady in the ladies' lounge, you know, basically, would you like to have a baby? You look like a really nice woman. And Jimmy Lee, who's just a maid, you know, in the restroom is like, yes, ma'am, show ma'am, I'd love to have a baby, not meaning a word of it. Mama would tell me this, you know, years later. And this lady, you know, gave her a $50 tip, you know, and Jimmy Lee wrote down, not Jimmy Lee, but the lady wrote down uh, the maid's name and left. And, you know, mama would tell me many years later, she didn't think a thing of it. And the next thing you know, a few months later, a telegram is delivered to the ladies lounge, Riverside Hotel to Jimmy Lee you know, baby girl born August 1st, come to San Francisco to pick up your baby. And Jimmy was just shocked. She said she looked at it, ripped it all up into fine pieces and flushed it down the toilet. <laughs> so a few weeks later, this lady who had initially visited Jimmy came to the back to the casino, to the ladies' lounge, and found Jimmy Lee on her shift and said, what kind of woman are you? You said you'd come pick up the baby. And so at that point, Jimmy Lee took this woman down to meet her husband, who was a shoeshine man in that same casino. And lo and behold, Diana, this lady, you know, can, can, her name was Louise, convinced uh, the minister, because he also was a minister in the evening. He was a Pentecostal minister, and he shined shoes, you know, during the day. And so he told Jimmy Lee, he said, well, this is a sign from God. There's a poor little, you know, mixed race baby that needs a home, and we're going to go get that baby. And Mama told me that they fought all night long, that she didn't want to go get a baby. And so finally he convinced her and they took off for San Francisco and they went to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, an unwed mother's home there in, you know, San Francisco. And just to wrap this story up, it 
for right now, they go in and they have the information on whom they're supposed to talk to. And a baby is brought out, me, and and this little baby is, you know, blonde, blonde little strands of hair and blue eyes and white as can be. And Jimmy Lee, who, by the way, I didn't add, was as drunk as a skunk by the time she got there. That The reason why the preacher wanted... This baby, he had been having problems with Jimmy Lee drinking, and he thought if she had a baby, she'd settle down. And so he had told her, now, don't say a word. When we get in there, I'll take care of details. Well, Jimmy Lee, who was never a woman to be told anything, as soon as she saw the white baby and mama, who my, you know, Jimmy Lee, my mama, would tell me, I didn't, I told those, those, it was a Catholic unwed mother's home. I told those damn women I didn't want any GD you know white baby are they out of their minds and Chris the minister was just shocked and embarrassed and so they stormed out of there and Diana it was that night when he preached all night to her about the color of love and how could he how could she be like that that finally she relented and they they went back and literally I was signed over to them. I wasn't even legally adopted. And that's a long story on the mystery behind that. But that's sort of how it started. <laughs> wow. And then so they just all of a sudden, you know, they had to go out. Just, so they didn't have any children of their own. No, she had never. He. Oh, it's just one of in my book, One Day Shall Darken, the mysterious beginnings of Fauna Hodel, which is my first 25 years. I tell the story where Jimmy Lee and Chris were actually were from Canton, Mississippi, and he was a minister in a church there in Canton, Mississippi, and he was married. And Jimmy Lee was uh, they called her pretty Jimmy. She always, she had very wavy hair and she was just a pretty woman. She thought she was a real somebody. And anyway, she actually, you know, not a good story here, but she gets the attention of the minister and they run off together and they go to, they leave the South and go to the North where the money is. And this is, he starts shining shoes and She's a maid, and they run off to Reno, Nevada. So that was craziness, just craziness. Pick me up where, what was that question you were? Because I get carried away in my story sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, because story, well, stories are the, you know, I think you're so wonderful at the way you explain this. Because I think, you know, for at least me, and I'm sure the listeners they are imagining this whole scene. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's something. You know, I, I, I'm so, I'm so sort of lost for words because I don't think I know anyone that has had this same situation. I mean, we had. Uh, I uh, I grew up in the Midwest in America, and there was a, a good friend of my brother in his grade school that was an adopted child and they were really good friends except what happens is this this boy's adopted family uh they don't get along anymore and they put him back in the orphanage and we really mm. felt we, we were so touched and we felt so bad for for this boy charlie 
And so we, we would go on weekends and visit him and take him out. And, you know, this is the typical take him to the, the fairgrounds or go on the merry-go-round or the, you know, the roller coaster. And we decided to foster him. And so I know enough about that kind of, let's say that kind of world of, you know, fostering and adopting and, and spending Sundays and orphanages. Um, but this idea of just, you know, <laughs> the baby and then strangers, strangers from a different state who are just told. And, and the funny thing is, is they actually, they actually obeyed. Oh, yeah. And there, once again, there's a lot of mystery and secrets behind how this was all really pulled off because, and I would fast, fast forward when I found out who my real family was and the power behind, you know, the man who had, who had really arranged my giveaway. He had only used that woman, Louise. She was sort of a pawn, you know, in the middle of all of this. But Jimmy Lee didn't have children to answer your question. She ran off with the preacher's husband and they go to Reno, Nevada. And so by the time that they, and by the way, they were earning over a hundred dollars a day in tips. I mean, back then, imagine that was a lot of money. And Chris, the preacher and also shoeshine man had bought himself a new Cadillac and so when they drove to San Francisco, they he wanted to real he wanted to try put the his new Cadillac on the road and they go to San Francisco. He convinces her to bring this baby home. And so when they arrive back in Reno, Nevada with their little white baby, they had called her sister in law, Rosie was her name, Rosie Bill Brew and Rosie said, oh, my God, you know, you're you have a baby, you know, and she goes, anyway, we'll be there soon. I guess they pulled over to a phone or whatever and said, we're bringing our baby home. And do I have a surprise for you? And did they get a surprise? Because we're talking 1951. And by this time, I'm, you know, I'm just three weeks old. And they arrive because Jimmy, when she shows them the baby, you know, she tells them the story and this is a little mixed race baby and everyone is like, because Rosie has brought some friends over to welcome, you know, because there's a new baby that's going to show up. And mama would tell me that everyone was mortified, like, you're going to get in trouble. You you, you done kidnapped a, a baby. Oh, they're going to get you. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I, my life was sort of always, you know, from day one, as I started growing up, it was always about the color or the lack of color of my skin. There was, I, you know, I, and mama, how she got that birth certificate too is a mystery because I have a birth certificate from the time I think I was, you know, I learned how to read early on. And I remember staring at that birth certificate and it, gave my birth mother's name, Tamar Neas Hodel. It said I was born in San Francisco. It said um, mother Caucasian, um, father Negro, name withheld. So 
all I had was I was born August 1st, I was 1951, I was born at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. But Jimmy Lee, the maid, would say things to me as I was growing up like, your name is Fauna Hodel. You can never change your name. One day you're going to inherit a lot of money and I can pick up the phone anytime I want and call your granddaddy and your people are rich people. And I'm like, this just was also confusing because she would only give me little snippets, right? But then she'd say to me, yep. And they say you're mixed, but you ain't mixed, you know. And I would cry, Diana, because I oh. so wanted to be mixed, whatever. <laughs> you know, I wanted to belong. That it hurt my heart. That what do you mean? I'm not, you know. She would because I look so white, right? And but I, as I got older, I would start coloring my blondish hair like red tones, hoping it would make me look mixed right well you have oh I mean, God, you have, a, you have full lips and we you, right. <laughs> yeah so i mean you know there are some uh some features that you have that are that are very pronounced you have a very beautiful you know rounder face with the full lips and you know just so just so the listeners you know, you don't look like someone who's Swedish, you know, you have a very round, no. round look. No. Um, well, what about, what about the kids in school nowadays? You know, let's just take, take off on a different tangent. You know, nowadays uh, they talk so much about bullying, but I imagine, you know, you went through some things back in the fifties oh, in grade school. I went through hell and back. I mean, because you know, as white people treated me as if I lived with cockroaches because hatred was so terrible. I mean, the white superiority, and I have to use that word, but as though the blacks were these less inferior beings. And I would, well, I'm one of them. You know, I was always, you know, standing up for, you know, standing out against that. And and my white friends would come and come and you know meet my mom and my dad and like oh my god these aren't your parents you know this kind of stuff and then i wouldn't let my black friends know that if i were playing with my white friends because i was sort of treated like the white devil like you you can't be with them but so on a whole i just you know i have to go back for a minute I used to spend a lot of summers when I was a, my grandmother, Jimmy Lee's mother would spend a lot of time with me. We would go to summer. We'd spend summers in Los Angeles in the Compton area. And my big mama, that's what we called her. She loved me and she so protected me and she'd take me in her arms. I'm only like two, three, four years old. She died when I was five. And she would say things to me like, Baby, I can't always be with you, but God and God's angels will protect you. All you have to do is call on help. Because at one point, my little cousins and my, you know, where we were playing in the front yard were going to cut my throat to see what color my blood was. I mean, they, were, I, they weren't really going to do it, I'm sure, but I was screaming and Big Mama came out into the front yard and chased them away from scaring me. And But she instilled in me 
from an early age that I was blessed, that I was protected. And if I ever was in trouble, all I had to do was call on God and God's angels. And it registered in my brain, Diana. And even when she died, I was sitting, I was only five, and I was sitting at the funeral at this big church, you know, and she told me, I remember her coming to me as I was sitting there because we were in the front, we were the family, you know, looking at her coffin in her body and she she told me I could feel her it's like I got taken out of that room and she said I'm not really dead I'm a, I'm just away I'm in the Sunday school room and I'm always going to be with you and you know I honestly can tell you at pivotal points in my life that spirit that woman showed up for me so I was blessed from an early age to be instilled with wisdom. And then my Aunt Rosie, you know, the lady that had Mama whom had first taken me to go visit, you know, but Aunt Rosie was a truth seeker and very mystical and spiritual. And she studied, she studied um, like think and grow rich. And she knew about the power of the spoken word and, dreams and I'd wake up in the morning and she dream baby dream up in that kind of environment that world where it was very spiritual and even though my mom was a drunk she'd send me to church and I'd sit there and you know I I was wise enough as I got older and noticed a lot of hypocritical stuff, <laughs> but my the faith-based, you know, life where you're divinely blessed and protected just became a part of my soul. So that has protected me and and with a you know, with my Aunt Rosie who taught me um that you know, just all these principles of the power of the spoken word. I've been pretty conscious from the time I was a little girl that kept me protected in a, you know, insane world. That's well, you, the way I looked at it. I used to. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, so how even for parents listening, would you recommend to to even you know, involved children in personal growth. Sometimes I see, okay, I'll, I'll say, you know, I uh, have been a corporate trainer for 25 years and I do, you know, weekend workshops and, and just a lot of personal growth. And very often I see, you know, parents come and they do all this work on themselves, but I really don't believe they involve their children in their path, sort of like they're afraid for their children to see them as having weaknesses. And so it's a very isolated kind of adult thing where what's interesting is that you're saying that from this space of peace, probably because this Aunt Rosie was wise, she yes. started sharing these principles with you, but not from a place of, I have to work on myself, but from this place of, I want to share this wisdom of what works. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's it's about being the change we want in this world, you know, to bring it up to current, you know, stuff that's going on on this planet. And, and even though there's this, 
you know, racism and people want to be better than somebody else and put other people down. But, you know, it's how we raise our children. It's like the ones who are raised in hostility or superiority. You know, how can as as enlightened beings, how can we get our children to look at, well, it's not about what you say other people are doing to you, but who are you? What kind of human being are you and and to know you're protected and it was those keys in my life that I am sure protected me every day of my life because I was given powerful keys you know absolutely yeah because I think you know I'll I have a story of growing up in the Midwest and there was a lot of things going on in the 1970s with the integration and so there was you know what they called the busing And so, you know, the black children would be brought to the white schools, you know, and the white kids would be taken down to the, to the black schools and, you know, really working for integration. But, you know, it turned out that, you know, some of people, some, you know, a couple of my cousins were involved in that uh, project and they had a great experience. Mm -hmm. Other kids had a terrible experience and it's such a pity, you know, that there is this judgment based on an exterior skin color, because you had said it beautifully before. What did you say about, um, uh, about beyond color? We're living, you know, my, I give talks on beyond color. And in my opinion, color is simple. Your skin color is simply your description. And like Martin Luther King says, judge, you know, be judged based on the contents of your character, not, on the color of your skin. I mean, I have a black daughter and a white daughter, two different men, one child by a black man, another child by a white man. And, you know, those are my daughters. And like I say, you know, when I say one black daughter and one white daughter, it's only like one has blue eyes and one has brown eyes. It's just a description. It does not define who they are as beings, right? It's simply a description. How can we live beyond color and judge a person? If you want to judge somebody, judge me based on the content of my character. Who am I? Who are you? Yeah, exactly. And your actions. And yes. and what I found, especially in, in the recent history, as in, you know, really the past couple months, there have been, there has been this, um, you know, there's been such a separation uh, with political discussions and political leaders and who will be the next president that I feel like there's this massive growing negative cloud of, again, separation, again, you know, one group against another group that is starting to trickle into and infect every area where there is separation, which is, you know, obvious separation now is, you know, one political party or another and one skin color and another skin color. So, you know, until we put an end to this kind of judgment Mm -hmm. based on something that you can't change, (laughs) you know, know, Diana, as much as I love the media, the media has been, one of our biggest problems because there actually is, I believe there are more good people on this planet than bad people, but we are constantly fed 
the negative news. I mean, you turn on the news and you're afraid to walk out your door. And the truth is, most people just want a better life for their families, you know. So whatever we can do to create better images on our television screen. I mean, we I'm not saying to deny what's going on out there on the bad side, but they're also more wonderful people standing up for right action than wrong action and people who play upon people's fears. I mean, it, someone told me in reference to journalism, you know, if, unless it bleeds, it doesn't read. And I'm like, can we go and redo that? (laughs) Wow. That's a very powerful saying because it's true. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't. Yeah. That's one of the number one things they're taught in journalism, you know, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't read. And I'm like, I was mortified. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense because, you know, we all know you, the nightly news. I mean, 95% of it is terrifying because they're only focused on what's going on wrong in this world. Wow. Well, tell us about, you know, some of your, uh, tell us about your sort of day-to-day, day-to-day life? Because you're a highly creative person. So what are what are your projects? What's going on now in your life? Well, it's sort of interesting what's going Well, we'll talk about another life challenge. I just was recently, this past um, April, diagnosed with um, breast cancer, which was one of the, you can well imagine, one of the biggest shocks of my life, because here I am, I'm going to be 65 August 1st, and I'm, you know, I'm proud of who I am. I might have needed to lose a little weight, and, you know, but I, I love who I am. I, I just, I'm proud of who I am. I'm one of those people that, takes pictures and posts them all the time because I I used to cry myself to sleep at night and hate myself because of my skin color or lack of skin color. And one day I became a universal being and loved myself. So I smile all the time and tell people how blessed I am and look at yourself in the mirror and feel beautiful. And, and then boom, um, in a, sh- in a shower late March, I'm simply bathing myself and discover a huge lump in my breast that turned out to be a triple negative breast cancer, which is a, is a very aggressive breast cancer and shock of a lifetime. But, you know, Diana, even with that, I, a dear 94-year-old friend of mine, Shirley Walser, who's just an amazing human being that drives, that looks forward to life, gets up every morning to see what she's going to do during that day. And she said to me when I shared with her, you know, oh, my God, Shirley, I have breast cancer. She goes, dear, it's sort of like you got to look at your body. It's sort of like a car. And, you know, if it breaks down, something's wrong. You take it to the shop. You get it fixed and you keep going. And since none of us are in this body for forever, you know, just you got to work with it. So here, Diana, what I'm currently doing is I uprooted and actually am here in battleground of all places, battleground, Washington, conquering cancer. I have an amazing cancer care center, Compass 
cancer care center that and I've been pretty holistic my whole life at least for many years and some of my friends wanted me to go the natural way of getting rid of this cancer but you know because I was at stage three fast growing um, I couldn't play around with it so I'm combining holistic as well as I'm currently doing chemo I've had four rounds of chemo. I only had one on Monday, and and I have starting in August. I have to do 90 days of once a week chemo, and then they'll look at how much they've shrunk the you know the tumors in my left breast, and and then I you know do I have to have surgery? What happens next? So in the middle of all of this, in the middle of right when I have. I'm moving, I'm actually developing, you know, I made a feature film back in 1990 with Alfre Woodard, Charles Dutton, Jill Clayburgh, um, Pretty Hattie's Baby. We had to change all the names to protect the guilty back then, another long story. But fast forward, after all my years of being stopped, I finally have it at a place in the hands of someone very powerful who's actually, she's currently um, wrapping up Wonder Woman, you know, the huge, epic Wonder Woman. And she is directing, she was the director of that movie. They're wrapping it up now. And she is developing my story for a series. So in the midst of now having cancer and working with the writer to... God willing, get this project finally out there. Because my goal, from the time I was eight years old, it was a movie, Imitation of Life, a very powerful film about the stupidity of racism and color and all of that. But sitting watching that film at eight, I vowed I would grow up and use my life to help wake people up and help take them away from cruelty and judgment and help help create something that would be about kindness. So to answer your question, <laughs> I am currently <laughs> dealing with cancer, conquering cancer. I have a radio show, too, on the Amazing Women of Power Network. I, my first interview was with um, the executive director of the Susan G. Coleman uh, out of Michigan Foundation, and I just did a new interview. So I'm once again taking what's happened to me and seeing what I can do to encourage others not to get stuck in there. You know, the, all the the heaviness of the cancer stuff too. As I'm trying, working on it, not trying, eliminate that word. As I'm helping myself overcome what I'm going through and to get through it in in a good way. <clears throat> yeah, well, you can tell even by the quality of your voice and and your happiness, you bubble enthusiasm. <laughs> so, you know, if, you know, this breast cancer can't get you down, you know, you've got oh, things no. to do with your life, girl. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> you it find... is not. <laughs> well, you oh, know, no, just... <laughs> just, you know, just as you had, you know, the, the, the grandmother, um, who was that sort of the 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 most like valuable role model or was it like was it the aunt rosie you know both my big mama and my aunt rosie my 
My Aunt Rosie, there was a famous minister back in the 50s, you know, for many years, Reverend Ike, and he was all about the power of being positive and the spoken word. And as I said, from the time I was a little girl, she was a strong influence in my life. So they, these women, and then fast forward, it would be Louise Hay back in the eighties. I started reading Louise Hay. And of course, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. I was always drawn to those kind of books, you know, like how to use your mind. I grew up in the church and I'm very spiritual, but who I really am is, you know, it's all about, it's not about getting on your knees, begging for God to help you. It's about, you know, being that force, being that light, just that Jesus consciousness that taught us about faith and believing. So I, I've sort of always lived my life like that. I mean, there, there have been times, no doubt about it. I've been, you know, I can be down to my last 10 bucks and be given a hundred thousand dollars or something. Just, (laughs) you know, I've just, I've, and I've learned how to create in the now, you know, I definitely believe that who we are is about our belief system. You know, there's so many people that get stuck in how tough life is and they they don't know they're they're creating a tough life. You know, they don't and until we have more people like you, Diana, out there, you know, who are teachers helping people to walk, walk through the journey and giving them tools to, you know, you can change your life in an instant. You know, and no matter what situation you're in, it's how you you know, how you think about it, how you move through it. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, that go through tough times, they forget to look back at important role models or they can't find someone. And mm-hmm. I think that there's there's a phase in which our, our character is formed where it is beautiful when you grow up and have someone you look to that gives you, that instills you with that wisdom yeah. and that faith. Yeah. But then at a certain point in the maturing process, I find that, you know, the answers are all within you. If you close off the chatter, chatter, chatter from the outside world, if you stop looking outside, comparing yourself to other people, um, and you stop looking outside for advice and you just quiet your mind, you know, you just quiet and calm. And if it's, you know, taking a shower and not, t- you know, thinking about anything or, you know, take a walk and instead of filling the walk with all of your, you know, problems and, and you know, going over them over and just sort of release that and get in touch with who you are because really the answers are always inside. And we hear that on a philosophical uh, sort of plane, or we're given that as a Facebook post, you know. But it is, it is true. No matter what kind of childhood or no matter what kind of past, no matter what kind of five minutes ago you had, when you can get into that space of peace that you you sort of impose it on yourself, you know? No, now I'm going to be peaceful. Answers yes. will come to the most difficult, you know, problems. 
Well, it is the power of affirmations, too, the power of the spoken word. What I, I dropped back during the days when I'd cry myself to sleep, you know, and I thought everyone was evil and mean, and this was a long time ago. But when I learned how to take charge of my own thoughts, and it was, I believe, in the 80s, Louise Hay, where I would make my own audio tapes, you know, and I tell myself, I am beautiful, I am blessed, I am good, I am good, life is good, people are kind, I attract only good. That stuff started changing my life, you know, as compared to, oh, I am so sad or life sucks or, <laughs> you know, but you've, no one can do it for you. You know, you've got to reach out and decide that you're really sick and tired of being sick and tired. Exactly. And take, take the reins and start looking at, well, who am I? How can I be a better human being? Just show me. And I would always show me the way. Show me the way. When I didn't know what to do, show me the way. Or and simply, it would feel so good to say, I am loving, I am kind. And it was things like that that from a long time ago started changing my life. I, I have definitely, I can honestly say, mastered the art of, the art of the spoken word, because I do know the power within one's word. You know, that's what when I actually first got the diagnosis of breast cancer for a minute, I was so mad at my body. How did I do this? What do you mean? Me, the queen of telling myself how healthy and beautiful I am. But, you know, <laughs> I had to I had to come to that place to know, first of all, Fauna, that body is not your body. You know, you you have the opportunity to take care of that temple and do the best you can with it. But we are in the human form. And just like when I broke my leg in 2007, I had to learn how to walk again. I didn't want surgery. I'm like, oh, excuse me. I don't want to do that. Well, they said, well, you'll never walk again. Well, I had to do surgery. <laughs> so you have to... Really, even like something's if stuff happens, it's how you move through it. You've got to, okay, this is what's happened. Let me start blessing it now, you know, instead of it's your fault, you know, blaming yourself or exactly you've got to take control, you know, and definitely in reference to just being in gratitude and then taking heck, dealing with what's come up in a positive mindset. Well, do you, um, for the listeners, how um, do you work with people? Do you do, um, you know, not just the radio show or what is your way of inspiring people? Well, you know, it's sort of interesting. I have, you know, if you just Google me, Fauna Hodel, I have, I mean, I have a Fauna Hodel speak site. I've, you know, I go out there and speak when I have the opportunity I have um, a site affirmations and number four you just a letter you.com I've made myself available out there on different levels but have I truly went out there I think for so many years well for many years I worked at a um 
a philanthropic magazine in Beverly Hills, which was just thrilling and enlightening. And I had a radio show, Bonnish Charity Sizzle Report, and I, I put myself more into just giving of information and giving of myself. I never really learned the art of how can I turn this into a living for myself other than yeah. my 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 film aspect of it all because that no matter what has happened in my life and through the years I've kept my story alive and that had more impact to me than anything and I sort of um mentor whoever shows up in my universe <laughs> it's just sort of who I am wow yeah because uh you what what you went through and how it's applicable to what the world needs to solve now is such a it's it's really the right time that your story comes out in a bigger way because finally human beings have to understand that this is we need to end this kind of separation and the racism or bullying on any on any any level it's it's amazing Absolutely. I'm an advocate of kindness. And at the end of the day, you know, it's really all about kindness, you know, how kinder. And first of all, there are mean spirited people out there. Am I a mean spirited person? Not not willingly. You know, I'm very cautious of, you know, I just um, I send love, but I'm having grown up with I've been in danger many times, and by but by calling on protection, I think it's wisdom. It's like you learn wisdom in your life. You know, we we can only really reach and help who wants to be helped, as compared to I don't know how to go stand in front. I mean, I could be with anybody. Put me in front of anybody, and. I will do my best to impart love. But at the end of the day, that being needs to be the one that starts going within and transforming. But just like me, when I was a little girl, it was those gatekeepers that gave me something to hang on to. So we need more inspirational people sharing inspirational messages that if that person is tuning in to CNN who thinks he's ready to go shoot up people who maybe will hear something that will help change his energy, you know. So it's an interesting time on this planet. And even though, because when I was growing up there, reading about all the Ku Klux Klan and all that meanness and people hanging from trees, it was bad then too, you know, different levels. So... But there, back then too, there were all there were there were good people who were willing to help change the world. So, Diana, we're just living in a time where the more kindness we spread, the more people that will, you know, shed the light. You know, that light will just start spreading. That's all we can hold hold our intention for. Exactly. Because a lot of people, especially, you know, in, in my industry, let's say the coaching and, and people are very often wanting to be this, you know, Dalai Lama or the Martin Luther King of the situation or, um, you know, Maria Teresa, Mother Teresa. Yeah. 
And, you know, kindness starts with, you know, in your own home. Kindness, it becomes a way of being. It's not, you know, just big on stage inspiring people. Um, You know, if you can, if, if you can even, uh, well, you know, I've got four kids and obviously, uh, you know, brothers and sisters bicker sometimes. And once my, I think my youngest son, he said, well, that's just the way it is with brothers and sisters. I said, but it doesn't have to be. That's right. And just to have them reflect that just because you're siblings, you really don't want to get in that way of solving problems, insulting someone who's your loved one in your family, you know, and, and, and bringing that awareness at a young age that there is a way that's just simply kind and, and heart and sure people will take advantage of kind people, you know, but I find, you know, one thing that I, that I'll, that I'll tell, you know, people is you in the end, you wake up in the morning with your own consciousness. You go to bed at night with your own consciousness. And if you can tell yourself and be, you know, uh, we say aposto, you know, like in a place of sort of serenity with your own self. Yes. Then you know that you've, you've done something that has spread more peace and harmony in even just your local area. So you smiled at the shopping, you know, smiled at the lady at the shopping center or, or, you know, you helped someone carry their groceries. It's sort of, you know, we grew up in what the 1960s and there was the Boy Scout who helped the old lady across the street. Right. And, you know, we need to get we need to get back to those simple acts of kindness for the people that are right next to us every day and get your face out of your phone and, you know, get the earplugs out of your ear and walk down the street and look at people in the eyes and make comments. And, you know, that's, that's, those are the little tiny little acts of recognizing other people and complimenting and smiling that I think has the biggest ripple effect. Yes. And loving yourself and loving yourself, being able to look in that mirror every morning and tell, I mean, it's sort of interesting as we speak, I am bald. I mean, I am a woman that loves my, I'm a Leo and I love wild, beautiful hair. And to when I look in the, I mean, I only, no one's going to see me bald (laughs) other than my immediate, you know, my family, but I'm like, I look at myself and laugh and I go, oh, my God, I look like an alien. And I go, oh, but aliens are cool, good ones. I have to I make <laughs> myself laugh about it. <laughs> so, I mean, wow. Really, no. So you've got to it's starting with the man in the mirror, you know, as it says, it really we can go out there and be with everybody but unless you really can look in that mirror and tell yourself you love yourself it is so much easier to love everybody else once you truly love you and that's you know getting having people get to that place is this is so 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 important because you won't have time to hate anybody else if you're busy just I, you know, loving yourself, loving who you are. Yes, that's beautiful. Well, how can people contact you? 
if they want to write you an email and say, Fawn, I loved the interview and you're an inspiration. I can't wait to watch your films. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's you. I can be reached actually email Fauna Hodel and that's F-A-U-N-A-H-O-D-E-L at gmail.com and feel free to reach out to me. I'm Google me. I'm I'm definitely out there and I've kept my story alive for a million years and sooner or later it'll catch on in that big way because I believe, you know, the the stories, the media, media done in the right way is a way of transforming people's lives, you know, and not judging the those other movies and the other stuff, but we need more good stories out there for sure. Yes. My goal is, even though my first film was stopped, and you can see clips of that first film on YouTube, I have so much stuff up, but the goal now is to turn this into something that will really leave its mark and how can I be one more person on this planet for my children, my children's children for, you know, what can we do to make a difference while we're still here? That's what it's all about to leave our mark and, and to have fun in the process. You know, I used to be about, Oh my God, you know, how can we help save the world? Well, I want to have fun while I'm, you know, helping doing my part too. (laughs) Well, fun is positive energy. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you you so, so much. much. You've been an amazing inspiration. And I think, you know, from even the listener's part and from my part, you know, best of luck. You have beat cancer because you've got the, the guts to do it. And, you know, best of luck with all your film production, because you've got the message that really is important for what the world needs to hear now. So thank Aww. you, sweetie. Thanks, Fauna. Okay. Thank you. And we love you, Tom Cunningham. Thank you. Yes. And our new book is coming out. Yay. Yes. Journey to Success, Volume <laughs> 2. Uh, bestseller on Amazon with 21 inspirational stories from people like Fauna Hodel, from, you know, uh, like me, Diana Dettinger, lots of people with really fun, exciting uh, transition, transformational stories about each of our journey, unexpected kind of journeys um, to, to how we have really come out of challenging situations to make our life uh, inspirational for other people. So again, thank you, Fauna. Thank you, Diana. You're beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at TomTooTall.com for details.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.